Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. Today we have one of our favorite guests on the podcast, Faina Cherdak. Um, Faina's two first two episodes were very fun to record uh, for both of us. And, you know, given the stats, clearly the you listeners enjoyed it very much as well. Um, so we have Faina back today. We have a, a few different things we're going to talk about. Welcome back, Faina. Mm. Oh, thank you so much. This couldn't have come at a better time. I love talking with you. I love getting all those things that are hard to say out there. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Same here. Um, and yeah, so let's. So today, Faina and I are going to start talking about substance abuse, our experiences with it as neurodivergent people, and kind of trying to highlight a little bit to our listeners why neurodivergent people struggle so much um, with substance abuse compared, or they're more prone to struggling with substance abuse compared to our neurotypical peers. Um, So I'll talk a little bit about my experience um, to start us off. I have um, always... It's interesting. I started actually relatively late. Um, When I was 18, I experimented with cannabis. Um, It was kind of, it's it's also a funny story. Yeah. Uh, So my dad, you know, my dad, and at this time, at the time he didn't know, of course, but he's also neurodistinct, he's an ADHD, or my dad has actually, and he talked about this on his podcast, on the episode with him, he talked about this a little bit, about how he struggled with cannabis addiction throughout his life, Um, you know, he started using quite early when he was like 13 or 14, Um, and, you know, he described it as a numbing agent, you know, something that, you know, like the world, and I think what it really is, and he probably didn't notice it at the time, but, and I, maybe me, me too, but like the world is so confusing and unkind to us and not just, not just unkind, but like straight up confusing sometimes. Like we just can't understand what's going on. Um, And it's, And so cannabis and alcohol and other kinds of substances can bring us this kind kind of calm us down and and numb us. And I think also like as people with hyperactive brains, we it it kinda helps with that as well. So anyways, before I get more into the weeds, um he my dad, so my my dad he he had a medical cannabis card that he got like in 2012 um it happened to also be the last year that my grandpa was around and my grandpa was um spending a lot of time with us we were taking care of him um and he he became you know he knew that my dad had this card and that he he got like um, cannabis sometimes and so he kind of and it was so funny because I never really imagined my grandpa like saying this but he like asked my dad and he's like hey my dad's nickname is Crunch and he would go hey Crunch can, how about some mar- marijuana brownies can you get us some marijuana brownies and, and like that strong stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really wanted it. He was like, yeah, yeah. And then because he kept asking my dad, and I think my dad was like, kind of awkward in the beginning. He was like, okay, yeah, like, okay, dad, like, because he just didn't <laughs> expect that. <laughs> and, um, and then it was like, I became kind of interested. And I was like, Oh, you know, I don't know, I was just kind of on the fence, because I, you know, I still had a lot of the um stigmatized kind of prejudice against cannabis and um I I just didn't really understand it at the time I didn't understand you know I I thought of it as something way worse than it than it is and um you know I just had this very negative view it's just funny because I used to like give my dad a hard time for smoking like if I would see him smoking or something and 
I don't know, it's just very different than than what I, I am like now. But um, he brought these brownies one day. Um, and, you know, we, we all, like, my grandpa tried a little bit. And I was like, okay, I want to try some too. I'm, I'm curious. And I tried some. But it was like, I didn't wait long enough. So I had like one piece or something. Mm-hmm. And then I waited. I, I waited <laughs> 40 or what minutes or an hour. And I was like, you know what? No one's, nothing's really happening. Like, I, I'll, I'll just take another one. <laughs> and then eventually, like 30 minutes later or something, I remember, I just feel like it was It was like this pressure in my eyeball. And, um, and then all of a sudden, like, I was super high. Like, I was, like, my eyes were dry. My throat was dry. I was laughing, and I couldn't, like, stop laughing. The first time is unmatched. (laughs) Yeah. How long did that last? Like, three days? Oh, my God. Yeah, well, it lasted. (laughs) Um, God, it got intense. I, like, I was just laughing. And, like, I went to get some water, and my... I was, like, laughing and taking the water to my room, and then I, like, dropped the water on the floor, and then I was, like, laughing at that, <laughs> and then, and, and then I eventually, my dad got me to, like, calm down, and, because I was, like, so excited and laughing and stuff, and, like, saying stuff, and this is great, and this is great, and then at the same time, I would, I would get the paranoia, and then I would be, like, I'm just gonna start packing my bag in case we need to go to the hospital, <laughs> <laughs> And I was packing that yes. back. And then I was just kind of really throwing stuff around because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and then I, like, eventually it got me to, like, lie down and calm down. And I fell asleep. But I woke up the next day and I think I was still pretty high because I, like, we went out and I think we had to do something at the bank. And there was, like, a lady that we knew at the bank um, and I think I made some kind of awkward question, like, I asked her if, and I, you know, I was a teenager at the time, I didn't really, and I was high, I was, I think I was high, um, but I asked her, like, if she enjoyed working at, at the bank, and it wasn't supposed to be, like, a fa- I was literally, and also, like, my autistic brain, I was just, like, literally curious, Oh, what is it like working at a bank? Like, I I never thought about, like, oh, what would it be like? Um, and it was just awkward. And she was like, um, yeah, it's okay. You know, like, I don't know. It was just like. You probably looked so high, too. Yeah, I probably looked high. Um, yeah, it was funny. Like, anyways. Um, so. My grandpa, nothing really happened, but I think he actually did. Um, he ended up wetting the bed because he was like really relaxed. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyways, that was kind of how, like, I remember I had that experience and I was like, I think for a while, like for a few days or something, I didn't. I didn't have cannabis and I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it again or not. And it wasn't like, cause it was like, it wasn't an exclusively bad experience, but it wasn't also like super. I mean, I, I, I was like, Whoa, this was like more than I expected. And I think it all had to do with me, like not dosing right with the edibles. And then eventually I did start, you know, occasionally like, using it again and I mean I think I tried an edible again and and then I realized that it was like okay like the other time it was like a lollipop or something and that was like super hard to do how do I dose this I'm like how many sucks of a lollipop do I it's super strong yeah 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 it was just like you're triggering a lot of memories for myself too (laughs) we have some overlap here oh man um well that's good it's there will be a lot to talk about um so yeah, no, it's basically, um, eventually I figured out it was like, okay, I think smoking, eventually I like tried a smoking or vaping or something. And I was like, okay, this is way, I like this way better because this is easier to dose. It started to become something that was like, 
kind of a stim for me, like um, a way to self-regulate my brain. And, and then it became something that um, I, you know, just really would desire a lot because it does have that kind of numbing effect. Um, anyways, uh, I'll, 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 I'll ask, I'm going to ask Faina now about her experiences opening yeah. it up to you. Yeah. Can of worms right here. Um, I've been smoking for a decade, pretty chronically. Um, I'm actually in a recovery stage, which times like this really scares me to say because I love it so much. I love the act of smoking, but I haven't smoked and I've just kind of slowly been, you know, um, digressing and, and trying to just take a couple edible, like not a couple edibles, but you know, like gummies, like low dose edibles every other day in the evening. Sometimes I'll slip up and mm -hmm. do it like during the day. Um, but smoking is stim. It's straight up yeah, stim. It stim. That is why I was so chronic about it because I wanted to keep smoking and I still want to smoke so bad. Like anything, yeah. like not meth, you know, but mm -hmm. like tobacco or nicotine, mm -hmm. anything. I want to smoke. What I noticed too is that it was, especially like when I started smoking and vaping, I noticed that it was a big stim. And I think I, I don't, I didn't even like, I knew there was something that was stimmy about it, but I didn't know about like what stimming was and everything. And, um, and now I think back at it, it totally is because it's like sometimes I want to smoke, but it's like, it's not even that I want to get high from it. It's that I just want the stim feeling of smoking. But of course, I don't want to smoke. I don't like cigarettes. Like, I remember I even tried smoking cigarettes once. And I was like, oh, this tastes horrible. And it's like, it's not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. But it's also a struggle. Because it's like, I would go, like, I'm going to, I would go smoke a joint. And I would be like, darn it. Like, I know this is going to get me more high than I would like to be. But it's not even about that. It's just because I really want this. Ugh, I miss smoking yeah. so much. Like, holy shit. I, I, I just want to have a healthier relationship with weed. You know, mm -hmm. I've been smoking for a decade. <laughs> I tell myself I want to be sober for a decade, but I fucking doubt it. Because, I mean, I, I want it to. You know, I'll work for it. I'll work towards it. If I slip up, I'm not going to punish myself. But it's a slippery slope. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and you know, I'd smoke so much, um, you know, joint after joint, hit after hit, whatever it was, especially with the vape pen, it's so easy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wouldn't even feel high anymore. I just needed to keep yeah, smoking. I really, mm -hmm. you know, I smoked Tuka. That's how I got through my, uh, my grad school, mm -hmm. um, through upper division and undergrad. Like I would go to a hookah bar and sit there for five hours with my computer because it would help my brain. Mm -hmm. like stay concentrated because it would get me a little bit loose and dizzy and that's when I was like okay flow 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 I'm flowing yeah. um I like this is I wouldn't say it's a sensitive topic I'm just like craving it it's really hard to not smoke like I'd rather mm -hmm. smoke than take edibles yeah uh, it's more controlled it, it like, is you know, it's easier to dose it's like I don't I mean not for me I'll just smoke yeah. smoke smoke yeah. And I don't even care. Like, I go past the point of being high that mm -hmm. I don't even feel high anymore. I was just chronically high all the time. Um, but I wouldn't, like, get high before, like, school of any kind or work of any kind. It would be the first thing I'd do, like... When you get back. Right when I got out of mm -hmm. class, when I was still smoking, even Meisner uh, mm -hmm. training, I would... First thing i do is smoke a joint in my car. Yeah. Oh, uh, nice. I would have... Oh, man, I wish we were, like, I know, in the same like, class. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know you had cannabis misuse disorder like I did. I mean, most neurodivergents who take part in cannabis, like, are yeah. pretty addicted right away. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not right away. It's a slow burn, but it's, like, kind of like your first love. And it is like, oh. your first love. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, just going back to addiction in general, I think neurodistinct individuals have addiction in all sorts of ways. You know, there's food addiction, there's masturbation, yes. there's sex addiction, there's alcohol. There's oh my God, so many. Mm -hmm. and, and all of it's really real. And it's, yeah. um, I've been affected by all of it. 
to be quite frank, um, it's kind of hard for me to dive into all the addictions, not because I don't want to share, but because there's so many stories and there's so many things to talk about. Um, but I'll just start with, you know, my childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom was a chain smoker my whole life. She had me at 17. She started smoking cigarettes at 14. That's her biggest addiction. She never really was a drinker or anything like that. My dad, you know, had many addictions, many, many, um, one of his stronger ones is weed. Um, alcohol was huge for him, but he has gout and sometimes he still does it. Um, I think he's had problems with pills, you know, Mm. all kinds Mm -hmm. of things, not the greatest role model. Mm. Um, but I'm very sensitive. So I like love my parents, um, just in a more mature understanding way, because I, I realized like, you know, they weren't always the best influences, but the reason I bring that up is because I actually didn't know my dad smoked at all. I knew he would drink a lot, but, um, And I knew he'd take pills sometimes, but I thought it was like medicine, even though I could tell. I was a smart kid, honestly. I was just intuitive. I wasn't smart, book smart, or any like school type of smart. Um, But I was really smart in seeing things that other people would not. And I could pick up on things. Um, And I just knew, you know, my dad had problems. And, but both of them were addicts, right? Mm -hmm. So it was already engraved in me. It it, it was imprinted. Like I, I had that, I was susceptible Um, and I had known that, um, and I think I was born an addict, you know, um, but I would always know that, um, this is a crazy thing to say, but like, as a child, I would like watch documentaries, like really kind of eerie, like intense documentaries about like addictions and heroin use. And Mm -hmm. I would feel like I've like the way they would describe it I I could feel it in my body I could like become it and Mm. I knew that that was something like heroin for some reason the way people describe it that like the way editors like edit the the people talking about it when they're actually getting high they like make it warm and wavy and like that's like the kind of feelings I seek out Mm. with me and like Mm -hmm. you know other things like I just want to be sedated Mm -hmm. um and you know I had addiction with food I still battle that um, because it sedates me, these things sedate me, yeah. like, you know, sex sedates you too. Mm-hmm. Um, and alcohol just like, I, I feel like I don't have to be myself. Like I could just be who yeah. I am. Um, luckily I'm like, I get really sick from alcohol, but I, I can drink a good amount. I mean, I'm Ukrainian, I'm mm-hmm. USSR, uh, roots. Yeah. So, um, I can hold my alcohol, but I, I do it smart now. I'm like grateful that I get sick past a certain point i do like to get tipsy just to feel looser for my anxiety you know Mm -hmm. i think that's somewhat healthy i really don't drink a lot like i'm into wine now but only on like special occasions Mm -hmm. um but anyways yeah so i knew addiction was deep in me and but i was in denial as a child i would just you know i'd always beg my mom to stop smoking she smoked like cigarettes and it was disgusting and it would be like every hour I feel like she'd step out. Like sometimes she'd chain smoke like outside on the balcony or whatever, wherever we lived, you know? Mm. Um, and I was around smoking my whole life. I didn't know my dad smoked weed cause I think he hid it from me, but my mom says he was smoking the whole time. Mm. You know, I didn't know it at all. Uh, but I think that's something you kind of hide more because it's like illegal and you don't want kids yeah. to tell yeah. you know, mm-hmm. teachers and stuff, friends. Um, and I promised myself, I'm like, I'm never going to be like you. I'd say that all the time. I'm like, you're disgusting. I, I never want to be like you. Like, mom, please. Stop. I would beg her. I would cry. Sometimes I'd be like, mom, don't go out to smoke, you know, cause mm. her addiction was more visible to me. Yeah. Um, you know, fast forward to 17, me and my best friend at D who, um, has OCD and like other anxiety disorders and stuff. Um, she, we were always kind of like, we're not trying weed, you know, everybody, my best friend, my other best friends would be doing smoking weed and like even taking ecstasy freshman year of high school. Um, I was never, ever, ever, um, what's it called? Uh, convinced. I I couldn't be, I couldn't be, what's it called? Forced or what's it called? Uh, um, coerced. Couldn't be mm, forced. It'll come. But, um, nothing could push me to do something I didn't want to. Like I'd be around cocaine. I was super open to being around it. I didn't give mm-hmm. a shit. 
Um, people would do cocaine, E, you know, mushrooms, all these things around me, but, and they'd be like, like, they'd really pressure me. I would not give into the pressure. That's the word I was looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, never gave into pressure and neither did a D we were just chill. Um, but one day, like half of junior year, we were 17. She, she like took me to the bathroom and she was like, I smoked weed. And I go, no way. Like, it was a big deal to me mm-hmm. because we were like, we're never doing this. We're, we're Not that we're better than that, but I did the whole, like, I'm high on life thing. Whenever somebody would, would be like, do you want to, do you want to snort? Do you want to hit like anything? Do you want to take a sh- mushroom? I'd be like, no, thanks. I'm high on life. Like that mm-hmm. was my cheesy thing to say. Um, but when she told me she did it, I was like, in that moment, I was like, I'm trying it. Yeah. I was like, I'm totally trying it because like we were on the same level. We were on the same wavelength there. Mm-hmm. And I know it started with her. I didn't smoke with her for my first time. I had plenty of friends to go to because everybody was smoking weed. Um, and the first time I never, I didn't get high and I was like, okay, now I have to keep trying. But it was like really exciting to try it. Like that was such an exciting time. I was like, I'm going to do something new. Mm-hmm. And my parents were like super chill with like drinking mm-hmm. because they're Russian. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's like kind of normal. Yeah. Uh, my mom's not a drinker again. She's a little bit more judgmental, but, mm. uh, yeah. So like I, I'd, I'd start to drink a little bit and, you know, I was starting, to, you know, the first time I got high was like, Oh, I couldn't stop laughing. I was on the street and I could not stop laughing. I was with my friends. They had, they had experience with smoking weed, but I was like dying laughing. It was so funny. Just, I was like, I feel drunk. And then we walked by like a donut shop and I was like, do you, smell that shit like it was amazing um and then eating food on it was like you know fed into my other addiction like you know sex mm. fed into my other addiction like all my addictions intertwined because weed enhanced it mm. yeah. um and that was a thing i would look forward to do every friday after class with different friends um and it became a habit and then uh and then you know we'd find dealers and we'd um, pick up a little bit more often. Sometimes I, I was in theater. Um, so I, and I did volleyball, so I didn't have that much time after class, but on Fridays I would be down and dirty because we went to a Jewish school. We observed Shabbat. Mm-hmm. So I was like, uh, uh-uh, Shabbat, we got to light a candle. It's a joint. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God. Two joints to make yeah. it Shabbat, you uh-huh. know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, really, I, I really started to love the feeling and, to the point where, you know, I had created a relation, not like a romantic, but just like a friendship with, with the dealer that we'd always, and I'd, and I'd get weed myself and I'd like hide the fact that I had it from other people because I'd want to, and I learned how to roll joints in, you know, 12th grade, senior year. And I, sometimes when I knew my parents wouldn't be home at all, all day, I'd be like, I don't feel well, I don't want to go to school. And then I'd smoke and I'd do, I'd eat, I'd do all the fun things, watch stuff, like just be lazy. But you know, I think it also enhanced my depression that I didn't know I had. Mm. I was also very isolated, like from people I'd hang out, but then I'd leave like pretty abruptly. And then people would want to hang out with me and it would really give me anxiety because I'm just like, I want my own space. Um, and weed was just like my best friend. And I was so excited to go to college. Cause I was like, I'm going to chain smoke so hard. Like I was into cigarettes. I like smoked packs of cigarettes for like the first couple of months of college. And then I was like, why am I smoking cigarettes? Weed is better. So, you know, I smoked blunt, so it's kind of best of both mm-hmm. worlds. I'm getting really specific here, but it's like, I'm just reminiscing on the fact that, like, I do love weed so much. I just don't have control over it. Like, I guess possibly neurotypicals might have easier mm-hmm. control over it. Yeah. I don't have. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to because mm-hmm. it's so nice to feel different. Yeah. I don't want to feel what I feel. And sometimes it does heighten your anxiety, but, like, you're kind of in like a, I don't even call it numb because I feel like it just feels like, I used to say it helped with my ADHD because it slowed me down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did, but it made me even more kind of lost with conversations. Yeah, it can do both. It can, it can like calm down the hyperactivity, but it can also make you zone out more. Uh, yeah. like I felt that like if I smoke I'll be like sometimes it feels like the um ADHD traits intensifying yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but at the same time I just like being sedated mm-hmm. like I like feeling like 
I have an IV in my hand. Okay, so this is actually another funny story. Not so funny, but funny to me. So my uh, dark, dark brain. Um, but um, I was in the hospital for two months um, in sixth grade. And uh, for a peritonitis, which is a burst appendix. And I lived oh, with it for a week, geez. which is pretty fucked up. Because um, they misdiagnosed me like three times with stomach flu. Pretty oh, fucked man. up. Um, but they would give me Benadryl because I was allergic to morphine. And they gave me the liquid Benadryl through my IV. And I would say anything to get that in my veins because it would hit right away. It was like warm and I felt like maybe that was my first real high. Yeah, wow. You know? Mm -hmm. And it was, they actually told me, put me on like a no Benadryl list. They were like, I, we think she's a victim. <laughs> um, and I was like really upset. Like, mm -hmm. I was like, you have to give me something else. Well, also, I was in severe pain, and it was, like, so soothing yeah. to me. And morphine, again, like, I almost died from it because it, I was, like, covered in, like, like bright red rash from head to toe. Wow. And just, like, shivering from, like, crazy fever. Um. Anyways, it was just, you know, I think that was also very telling, Go looking back at it, mm -hmm. that I loves the feeling of like just being out of it i guess um god i love weed so much it's like hard it's really yeah. hard and i want it because mm -hmm. it is like not it's not like the like even than alcohol i like it better than alcohol because alcohol alcohol i'll like feel nice in the moment but it doesn't take long for it to like I'll get a headache, um, yeah. you know, like, I'll feel dizzy, I'll feel really dry. Um, I also wake up in the middle of the night, usually, if I have alcohol. Um, yeah. Whereas if I have weed, sometimes I'll sleep, I'll sleep through the night. Um, so, like, it is, it's... I just, that's the other thing, is, like, it actually helps me with pain. Mm-hmm. Like... It's my favorite painkiller, too. Like, every time I'm on my period, I have severe cramps. And it's, like, the, it's what helps me most, I guess. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, like, I need stronger medicine. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I also get, like, a procedure on my face that's extremely painful once a month. And mm -hmm. it's funny because, like, most of um, the clients that go there, they, they have to take, like numbing cream and painkillers and like even alcohol helps them but like my doctor says that there's no one that has taken weed before that it didn't hurt more mm. and I was like but I see that it relaxes you and you actually can tolerate the pain you know and yeah it makes yeah. it harder because I'm like oh this is validating the fact that it is medicine for me you know I'd always mm -hmm. say I'd always kind of try to wiggle my way out of people telling me I might have an addiction by saying it's medicine it helps me I you know makes me feel mm -hmm. better like it's like a glass of wine at the end of the day mm -hmm. when in reality it's like 15 glasses of wine throughout the day mm -hmm. I feel like it could be um there's kind of a sometimes for me it feels like there's kind of a spiritual part of it as well yeah, yeah. I'm spiritual like it's I just want to like have a kumbaya circle, pass mm -hmm. a joint around, and like talk about our feelings. Yeah, like, yeah, ah, and it does help like bring that. up bring out the feelings too. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's just tricky because it's like it makes it more compelling. Um, like then, because alcohol, you have like I can, I can tell myself, you know, because sometimes I like I'll, I'll be at dinner or something, and like I'll want to order. I'll have this this impulse you know like i think i want to order a glass of wine but then i'll think it through and i'll be like you know can i i, I know it's gonna come with like a little bit of a headache or something and it's like because like alcohol i it's like i it it no matter it feels like no matter how used to it you are you'll still get pretty drunk um and I don't know, I guess with weed it's the same, but it's a different, it's not really the same because it's not like you don't feel it, really. It's, it's different. I mean, yeah. it's got a lot of sugar, too, alcohol, mm -hmm. and, like, 
sorry, my dog's making a lot of sounds, so I like kind of mute this sometimes. Um, I have a French bulldog, so he's like really, really snorty, and uh, he makes weird puking sounds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like alcohol just has a worse effect on my body. Not so much Mm -hmm. my brain, but my body, Mm -hmm. and like my insides don't feel as good. Like weed feels like relaxing to my body. Maybe not so much to my brain all the time, but it relaxes my body, too. Yeah, uh, I feel that, too, yeah. It's like, I there's so much to say about weed, but I just keep coming back to, I love it, and I I want to give in to my addiction every day. And for the longest time, my excuse would be, well, you can't get addicted to weed, because everybody would say that. But us as neurodistinct individuals, we're extremely susceptible to being addicted to weed of yeah. any other drug. Yeah, I think it, it does relate a lot to how a lot of other stuff um, doesn't really work for us. And this kind of segues into another um, topic that, that I was thinking about recently um, is like... Not just like, I mean, I think it starts with the fact that a lot of times our neurodivergence gets mislabeled as um, neurotypical anxiety, depression, or claustrophobia. And it's like some of those things can co-occur, but it's really like what's the root of what's causing it is like, I feel it. It comes from being neurodivergent in a neurotypical society. And I think neurotypicals don't get it. Um, And uh, so, like, then we get all these misdiagnoses. And then it's, like, there's certain, like, therapies and methods that are really designed for neurotypical brains. And they just don't work for us. And I think maybe that's also, like, what leads us to to cannabis so um i guess my next question for you would be like do you have any like experiences that you remember like getting misdiagnosed as like something else or like someone trying to um like with your hyperactivity and stuff someone trying to suggest something for you that didn't really work out and maybe that's part of you know what what led you to cannabis all the time. Um, I think I was led to cannabis on my own. I have a really mm-hmm. strong um, core, as I like to call it. Like, I cannot be swayed um, until I make that decision for myself. Yeah. And, you know, again, never gave in to peer pressure, mm-hmm. never gave in to what everybody else was doing. I literally could give two shits if everybody was blowing or doing blow all around me. Um, I would still not feel convinced. Um, but I was misdiagnosed all the time and not misdiagnosed by like professionals. Um, but like my parents who I personally don't think are freaking neurotypical. Um, I think my mom has high anxiety and I think she's got some attention stuff and maybe some trauma that really has affected like how she like carries herself. Um, my dad, I think he has ADHD, but like, I don't know. I don't know. It's undiagnosed. It's kind of like triggering for me. (laughs) I think the amount of people, like, I just catch myself thinking sometimes, like, because we were talking about our teacher gym as well. And I just think, like, the amount of people out there with undiagnosed ADHD or autism is way bigger than a lot of people think. And it's just too bad because I've noticed that, like, a lot of people seem to have this belief that it should be a certain amount or only a certain amount, like a small number. And that's really like something that is, it comes from internalized ableism as a society, like this belief that, because it, they, people see it as like, oh no, like it's too tragic for everyone to have. And it's not necessarily tragic. It's like, there's some things that, that, our struggles but it's like we need support instead of like oh no let's let's fix this or let's eliminate this um yeah yeah so to your point i know i didn't answer your question but like my whole life growing up since 
you know, teachers kicked me out of uh, my second grade class. Um, and I went to a different private, I went to a private school from a public school. Like those were signs. My parents come from the Soviet Union. That should tell you alone that they did not believe or rather they would try to convince themselves and me that I did not have a different brain, that I did not have a disorder of sorts. Um, and I fully believed it because I would try to tell them even in elementary school, even when I went to private school, I still didn't understand. I, I couldn't, sorry, my dog again, but I couldn't, I couldn't be in the same environment. Like I was acting out, um, for many reasons other than ADHD too, but you know, there was so, and infinite amount of times that I would come to my mom and be like, I need support. I need a therapist. She would say, nothing is wrong mm. with you. And then I'd have meltdowns every like couple days because of not because of that, but because of things. Mm -hmm. And, and she would blame me and she would call me, you know, I would get called like a porcupine and like, a, I would fight back. Well, what am I supposed to do? I'm sorry that I fight back for myself. You know, I really wanted myself to be fought for. And yeah. nobody was doing that for me. So I yeah. fought and fought until I lost my voice. Um, and, you know, it's it's actually kind of hard because my sister is 10 years younger and she doesn't have, like, ADHD or anything of that sort. But she does have, like, she does repress her emotions mm -hmm. a lot. And she's, my mom put her in therapy mm -hmm. because I've been in therapy for three years now. And mm -hmm. it's changed my life and i put my mom in therapy too uh -huh. i said mm -hmm. you need to go like yeah. i can't have a relationship with you anymore yeah like bad terms because mm -hmm. i could not take not even gaslighting but the denial yeah and it does come across as gaslighting like it it is no it, it is gaslighting mm -hmm. like i was gaslit like i was a fucking like communal fire pit like <laughs> it's just Russian culture does not, unless you're, like, so obviously, like, possibly, you know, schizophrenic or something really extreme, you're not taken seriously. You are not taken seriously. Yes, I could function in the sense that I could wake up, I guess, and, like, but, it's like... It's, like, all the effort that you're putting in every day, day after day to put on that mask, mask and act a certain way. I was forced into it. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like if my family did acknowledge my differences, which I don't think even to this day, she's like, nothing's wrong with you. And I'm like, stop saying that nothing is wrong with me, but I have stuff that you need to acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. I would say something is wrong growing up. I'd be like, mom, something is wrong. I like feel extreme. Like, like I would have anger issues too. My dog is now concerned of all my emotions. <laughs> Here he oh is. <laughs> I love you. Um, he's so like also having a dog is like really helpful because mm -hmm. um, he comes to me when I'm like really riled up and emotional. Yeah, and, like, always, you know, it's like kind of the support I never had and always mm -hmm. wished I did. Yeah. Um, but I get it from a dog, and now I want to be surrounded by dogs and like not people. <laughs> I think, like you know, I have a cat, and I yes. feel you know the same kind animals. Of, yeah, I'm totally. Mm -hmm. It's. I actually used to be so neutral and, like, kind of averse to dogs, but now I'm like, give me your dog. I want to lick its mouth. I want to be its best friend. I want to cuddle, but you need to leave as a person. As an animal, you can stay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's because um, I feel like, you know, it's like animals understand, like, especially if you're neurodivergent, sometimes it feels like animals understand uh, understand you a lot more, yeah. They like soak in your pain. I feel mm -hmm. like it's a it's a transference of energy, and they really like work to heal you. Like I I can get emotional. Like like I get more emotional when he comes up to me because I'm like I'm so lucky I have you because mm -hmm. he really is my ESL. Like I got him a card because mm -hmm. it helps. I mean he is a handful, and sometimes it's like more damage when we're in public. He's just like pulls all all around, but like having him is. He, like, knows I'm in distress a bit right now because mm -hmm. of, like, all the things I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and he's just, he just literally ran up the couch just to do that, you know? Um, I wish the listeners could see because he's so precious. He's a fluffy French bulldog, so he's very unique. 
um, but you know, I, yeah, I feel like he saved my life. I think yeah. that, and also, um, Jim's class, you know, mm-hmm. act, community. Yeah, for sure. Community and, and connections, um, with similar people with similar kind of interests, for sure. Like that was also huge for me. Um, yeah. And it's like, like when you were talking about like being mislabeled so many times, uh, you know, or not, um, misunderstood really. Like, cause like I relate to like being misunderstood and then being mislabeled and then like people don't understand, people wouldn't understand that I had executive dysfunction and, uh, we, and then that, so they would call me lazy and then, you know, they like that I have sensory processing differences because they would call me overreactive. And then, so that's why, because I feel like sometimes people don't understand, um, like, oh oh my God, I lost my train of thought briefly. Um, I feel like sometimes, uh, people don't understand why the labels are so important for us. Like why we want you know, why it's important for me to recognize I have sense and to be outspoken about, you know, sensory processing differences, about executive dysfunction, about like all these things. And people only, I feel like some people only think of it as they see it as labels, but it's like, yeah, like it's labels that we use to not be called other labels, like, cause all this other stuff right. that we get called Ugh. are labels, you know, it's and, this, that and like a sense of freedom. It's a sense of coming yeah. out. It's like, Mm-hmm. It's like, fuck everybody who mislabeled me. Fuck everybody who, who hurt me along the way because they didn't want to acknowledge what was reality for us, you know? Mm-hmm. And now we get to come out of our neurodistinct closet. And we're like, you know, I mention it a lot in, in class in like, I don't do it professionally. Cause that's like a whole nother beast. We can talk about probably another time, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a relief. It's a relief. Mm -hmm. And also there's so many things intertwined with that. Like a lot of times when you have ADHD or autism or OCD, you have depression and and anxiety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I realized that I did have depression and that was also mislabeled as Mm -hmm. like, you know, not wanting to do anything and like isolating and just being sad and like, Oh, like that. I love being sad. Fuck. No one loves being sad. No. It is a comfort sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what we're used to. Um, it's easier to hide. Um, but it's, it's all about freedom for me. All I wanted to do is be unleashed from the shackles that like my Soviet family put on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is very freeing. It is, it is. I think, you know, people don't understand. It's going to be hard for them to understand, really, like, because they haven't had that experience of, to that degree. Even if they, yeah. They just don't want to believe it. They don't Mm want to, they don't want to dig deep. It's a lot of work when you're, like, older and you, like, have been in denial for so long and you've just learned to survive Mm -hmm. in a certain way. But like, again, I was always a fighter. I was always like, mom, something's wrong with you. And like, dad, something's wrong with you. And it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still like, I'm a very s- straightforward, straight shooter. And I love to diagnose people just because <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. we're the same. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, really, so you know, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, anyways, like, uh, I was just th- thinking earlier, um, People, it's just funny sometimes because it's like, people are like, uh, they'll, well, particularly neurotypicals, um, they will say that, because they might experience, because like, I'll talk to them about like sensory stuff, and it's like, they might experience it um, a little bit like, being sensitive to a certain light or sound like I think they don't really understand it because they think it's only about like being sensitive to it or being bothered by it and it's like it's not just that it's like it's like I can't turn it off I can't it's gonna overwhelm me and it gets to a point that I can't turn it off and then I get ostracized by people around me for 
you know, being sensitive to it. Um, and so I don't know, it's just kind of like, they just kind of like, maybe they feel like they're making you feel better, but it's also like they're disregarding it. Neurotypicals love to say, well, I go through that too. Exactly. No, bitch. Like when I hear a fire truck or someone honk, I get internal panic. Like I, I really panic and it's, Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to calm down from that. Like sometimes I want to cry. Sometimes I want to like yell. It's like, it pisses me off. It's people. Yeah. Get neurotypicals get pissed off by those things. Sure. But it's not the same. It's not the same. And I wish they understood, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. It's it's different. It's different. Maybe some neurotypicals are are undiagnosed. And some, it it does happen. Like, I will say, probably a lot of neurotypicals, um, they listen to me talk about this stuff, and they're probably like, oh, wait, but... But I felt yeah. I felt that, and I felt that. But I maybe they were masking too. Like so, I'm definitely yeah. like your I'm, research. Like when you look into that, you mm-hmm. feel like it'll flip your world upside down because you're like, holy shit! Yeah. I I think this is something worth looking into. I think I like all of this relates to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's it, yeah. it's so layered. Every yeah, but you know. I thought I was, I was convinced I was normal at times mm-hmm. because people are like, I, I go through that too. It's totally fine. It's yeah. normal. And they were like so clearly neurotypical. And I was like, okay, you know, I, I would just be yeah. really confused. I feel like I've developed kind of a, a radar, like especially after I started discovering more about neurodiversity and more about myself, I des- I developed a radar just like um if you're gay you usually have a pretty good radar for like who else is gay i have a good rate like you do i have a really good radar for neurodivergence now and i can tell it's like if someone is like trying to relate to an experience or something um i can tell if they're near i can tell it's like are they saying this because they're just trying to relate and it's like something that they there it's not technically I don't think it's affecting them as much and I don't want to say for sure but it's just this vibe that I get and there's a difference when it's like someone that is really like okay I think they actually really do get it um yeah. and and so yeah it's this is kind of vibe some people just use like oh I'm I'm like I, I'm having ADHD right now like, yeah like I really do say that, like, so because when it's heightened, I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, mm-hmm. usually I try to describe what exactly I'm feeling because a lot of it's like someone's talking to me about a question I ask, and I forget to listen because I like I'm focused on like looking at them or just my senses don't always all work at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know what's so fun and interesting to me is like I have such an affinity with autistic individuals. Um. And, like, I didn't realize, uh, like, I'd always wonder, like, like, me and my cousin are so different, but, like, why do I feel like we get each other more than other people get me and him? Mm-hmm. You know, I really understand. Yeah. There is such a crossover. Like, I never understood that autism and ADHD is, like, in a lot of ways, so similar that it's, like, what do you, like, sometimes I'm, like, I feel like I'm on the spectrum, but I don't want to be that person that's, you know, but there are a lot of things that do cross over and it's like, holy moly, guacamole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. There is a lot of crossover. There's a lot of overlap. And, um, you know, like I, I mentioned once in my, my other episodes, episode 42, uh, he is my autistic memory you know um episode 42 i talked about the overlap in between autism autism and adhd and why so many autistics have adhd as well and a lot of times it's undiagnosed and this came this I, i came to that realization also from talking to my therapist about it and she has a lot of neurodistinct family and she told me you know a lot of professionals don't if they diagnose you with one, they won't bother to diagnose you with exactly. the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm pretty satisfied with my one diagnosis of ADHD. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had other, like, you know, anxiety. I, I've also been diagnosed with CPTSD, mm-hmm. which is complex post-traumatic yeah. stress disorder. Uh, but, like, a lot of neurodistinct individuals are, too. They're more susceptible to CPTSD. Uh, yeah. Because, first of all, just, like, misunderstanding and just, like, mm-hmm. that kind of abuse. Yeah. Um, that's like extremely traumatic it's, and like, yeah. you know, just the things that come with being different is like, exactly. really, 
like being severely misunderstood mm-hmm. and just being disconnected it's, and isolated. And then also just mm-hmm. family stuff is more yeah. sensitive. And, exactly. It's a lot about yeah. being misunderstood. And I think that's, this is like one of the main core points that um, I really hope neurotypicals can understand is that we aren't depressed because we're autistic or because we're ADHD, like just because our, our, of our brains. We're depressed because of the way society treats us and doesn't understand us because yeah. we're different. Like, yeah. it, it, is it just me or do you feel more comfortable like being at home and hiding a bit, you know? I do. I do. A lot yeah. of times I just want to be space. at home. And it's like, it feels... I don't think people people get it like it's like even if a friend of mine calls me and wants to talk and then it's like it feels like if I tell them hey man I'm just kind of not feeling like talking today like it's really frustrating because I know they're gonna take it personally I know you know what I encourage you to do that shit Mm -hmm. because I've been working on it myself and it there's so much anxiety attached mm-hmm. to that because it's like, fuck, like, I'm going to lose a friend or, like, mm-hmm. they're, like... Or they're just going to be moody or upset and then they're, like, yeah. upset at me and they're not telling me what it is. And then it's, like, and I have people that still do this to me and it drives me crazy because it's, like, no matter how much I try to, like, educate them on this stuff, like, they don't get yeah. it. Like, yeah. they... And yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, we said, like, like we have that just, like, automatic like anxiety like okay they're gonna be mad at me and especially mm-hmm. when they re- don't respond in it oh my god that's the fucking way. worst or when it's they the say okay and it's also like that's on them i realize uh-huh. like it's uh-huh. on you it's for on not you for not understanding yeah uh-huh and all i want to say to you is if if you're able to yeah it'll hurt sometimes like i get mm-hmm. severe anxiety but like it gets a little bit more comfortable to do this and like be like, you know, I like being so honest and be like, yeah. I don't have energy. I don't have capacity. I can't do this right now. I'm not in a good place. Like, you know, there's so many things you can say. Yeah. Uh, and just the thing to remember is like, you're worried about them being mad at you. But what about your discomfort? You're not mm-hmm. putting that first. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true That's because we're have, we're ingrained know? because like we get mis at least for me, like I get misunderstood so much that it's like I'm ingrained to like, okay. It, it just trains me to feel like my feelings don't matter. I have right. to put their feelings ahead. It's part mm-hmm. of masking. It's part of trying to fit in. Like, yeah. we don't fit in just being ourselves. We have mm-hmm. to make other people believe that yeah. we fit in by yeah. working overtime and, like, exactly. becoming a fucking creature, a slave of other people's, like, opinions and desires and whatever they want yeah. to see in us. People mm-hmm. beat for that just so that they'll let us in. Yeah, oh, that and, shit. I'd rather be at home alone for the rest of my life with my dog, mm-hmm. because it's just so unhealthy. I only want to be around people that respect my boundaries these days. And if yeah. you make me feel bad about it, mm-hmm. I'll feel really bad about it. I'll talk about it in therapy. But after I get that like validation that like you know that's maybe not a good friendship for me because that most likely people that don't understand that can fuck off. Like, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It it's took true. a really long time to understand, and it's yeah. still hard to cope with because of our yeah. like sensitivity to things. Yeah, and it is people's feelings. We are really sensitive, and it's like it's it's like people even like because we're we're talking a little bit about like um you know saying no to someone and then them not getting it, and it's like I get this so much with like even if they're not really upset, it's the way they respond, right? So. If, I say something like, hey, I can't do this today, I can't make it, or blah, blah, blah. It's such a difference if they say, oh, no worries, um, no yeah, problem exactly. at all. No worries. You know, no worries will be had. That, Thank you. I, I no appreciate. Worries, okay, I understand. Yeah, you. I understand. I think even you know, just sometimes I mm-hmm. understand isn't enough. Like, I like no worries. Oh, no worries is the best. No worries, like, best. that like, is the best. Don't that's, even worry about it, like. Yes, or like, no problem, or no, no problem. yeah, just no, yes. it's reassuring, it's, whereas, it's so good. it feels it's so, so good, right, yeah, because oh whereas, now, whereas, when they say, okay, I'm like, no. done, especially with a period, they can fuck off, they can <laughs> fuck right off, 
No. Yeah, I'm like, no. even just like, okay, like, it's just like, I, I am immediate, even if maybe they didn't mean it that way, maybe they're just like, oh, okay, but to me, I'm like, wait, okay, what do you mean, okay, like, you're yeah. upset. <laughs> even, even, like, if the response is, like, a little pushy, it's like, well, are you sure, like, what if I come at this mm-hmm. time, and they, like, that stresses they don't me get out it. So That stresses me out, too. They're like, well, mm-hmm. why don't, why don't we do it, like, in a, like a couple hours later or like like my sister will do this she'll be like she'll ask me to break down why i'm uncomfortable with something or like why it upsets me oh but can you because i'll I'll try to tell her clearly you know what i don't feel comfortable with this um i'm i'm laying down a boundary you know i'm like this is distressing me and i don't I shouldn't have to go through the exercise of breaking down everything about it that's making me stressed. I should be able to just say, hey, this is stressed out. This is stressing me out. This is overwhelming me. I'm not comfortable with this. Um, And then she'll like ask me and maybe she thinks that she's helping or that she wants to understand the root of it. And maybe there's some legitimacy in that. But it's like, don't ask me. Like, if I lay down a boundary, don't ask me, like, why are you uncomfortable or what makes you uncomfortable about it? I'm Literally. like, yeah. It's, it's also a thing for, like, neurodistinct people. Boundaries are really hard to set because mm-hmm. we also have a tendency to over-explain everything just so people really understand us. And then that almost makes us seem more, I guess, it, yeah. it shows the anxiety that uh-huh. we're having, right? And, and I can't help it still sometimes. Like, sometimes I do try to be, like, I, I, like, read it over and over and over, and I'm like, how can I make this less over-explaining? Because, like, they just need to accept that I can't. Like, it should mm-hmm. be simple. But there yeah. is a need to over-explain because we are so misunderstood, and exactly. it's like, we're also trying to prevent, like, yeah the pressure that is yeah. about to come. And it's sometimes it's, like, even when we explain so well, they still don't get it. Like, I have friends, like, I have this one friend. I tell him, like, hey, you have to tell me things literally. You have to explain. If you're trying to like hint something and get me to get the clue, I'm not going to get the clue. Yeah. And they actually like read my stuff and they listen to my podcast. And then it's like the other day they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I was trying to, oh, with, with this guy, I was trying to kind of hint that you should ask him this. And um, yeah, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to know. And then they're like, oh, yeah. I figured, yeah, no, I should tell you because I figured you probably didn't notice that. And I'm like. No, I didn't notice that because I don't notice that. So try, yeah, yeah. stop trying, like, stop expecting yeah. me to notice that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it's not a realistic expectation. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Like, I've mm-hmm. learned to be really communicative and very, like, honest and open and straightforward. I feel like honesty is just, like, kind of, like, it can hurt, but it's, like, mm-hmm. also... sensitive honesty is like perfect i need sensitive honesty i need honesty i need honesty honesty. that's like Uh that's like like you will not sleep ever again i will not sleep yeah (laughs) yeah it like our sleep is so easily fucked with it is it is because our brains are Mm -hmm. like overdrive always yeah 100 miles an hour yeah yeah 200 200 500 yeah we're like already 15 steps ahead of like things that are wrong yeah exactly and like but that's why it's always mm-hmm. also really important to have that tool of, like, countering mm-hmm. it with positivity. And, like, yeah. being like, okay, no, mm-hmm. take a step back because that was negative. Like, yeah. catching yourself mm-hmm. and being like, but sometimes it's, like, impossible. <laughs> it's so tricky. Ugh, I love our conversations. We have so much more Thank to you. say. All yeah, time. always. Yeah. That's why I think we should we should have, like, a monthly check-in or something. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to. I mean... Jeez, we could go on for like three hours, but I also know. I feel like that'd be so long for people yeah, to listen to. I know. <laughs> Maybe they'll probably listen in pieces. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. yeah. I certainly have a lot more to say, but I know you have a, a meeting and I don't want to. I have a meeting. Yeah. I'm a stupid person. I have a job and I hate it. I have a neurotypical job. I'm in HR and well, we can talk about that more we later. We can talk more about that, but. I mean, it's the reality still, like, unfortunately, neurodivergent people are still forced to work uh, neurotypical jobs to survive in this society, so. Yeah. 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 And there are some, you know, jobs that are, like, perfectly carved out for neurodistinct individuals of certain types. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people on the autistic spectrum are engineers yeah. and, like, mm-hmm. politicians and, like, have a really, really crazy intelligent brain. 
Um, but you know, we ugh. everything we talk about can go on for hours. So yeah, it's true. I don't know where to leave it, but yeah. it's yeah. I mean, I think everything we talked about is so fucking real and honest and open, and there's so much more to dive into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, you know, thank you again for for coming on. We will definitely do another episode episode very soon um thank you everyone for listening i hope everyone enjoyed this episode and i'll see you guys next time